Welcome to the Unconventional Leadership Podcast, a weekly podcast where we dive into the latest leadership news, tips, and strategies. I'm your host, Mike Sipple Jr., co-founder and CEO of the Talent Magnet Institute, best-selling author, speaker, and podcaster. Through the insightful interviews with experts from various industries and backgrounds, we unpack the skills, traits, and mindsets crucial for effective leadership in today's world. From embracing failure to leading with empathy, we uncover the unconventional strategies shaping the future of leadership. Whether you're a seasoned leader seeking to stay ahead of the curve or aspiring to develop the skills and insights to succeed, the Unconventional Leadership Podcast has something for you. Join us each week as we challenge the status quo and explore what it means to be an unconventional Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Unconventional Leadership Podcast. I have the distinct pleasure to have in the studio Stacy Baird, currently in the role of Chief People Officer for a national mental health organization focused on solving the opioid crisis. I cannot wait to unpack that with you. She and her employee experience team lead change across the highly distributed workforce bound to a strong purpose and impact. Focus on the impact of that work she shares and continues to grow in her knowledge through her podcast, HR to HX, where authors, experts, leaders define the meaning of human experience in 2023 and beyond. Stacy, thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode. Thanks, Mike. It's awesome to be here. So in the description, I mention HX, and I'd love to start there, kind of unpack the what does human experience mean to you and why are you so deeply passionate about it? Yes, my favorite topic. So I'd love to start there. I, you know, I had been in HR for quite a long time before I made this shift, but I feel like I started in HR in a space of not in HR and the people that, so I started working in human resources at a hospital system and the HR department, then called personnel because I'm old, I was in the basement by the morgue and they were very angry people down there. So I think from the very beginning, I thought that's not really what I do. What I was doing was matching interns and residents to great opportunities at our hospital. And I was in college myself trying to figure out my life. So I always felt this, this doesn't feel like I don't believe that humans are resources. I don't believe I don't know what the right title for this group is, the people team, whatever. And then as I started moving along in my career, I really had a focus, consistently had a focus on what is the experience that people are having inside of the organization? And if we focus on that, I think we make great decisions as leaders and as, as a people team, right? Every time we send out an email, there's an opportunity to create an experience for someone. Every time we talk about launching a program, it's an opportunity to affect and change people's experience inside and outside of the organization. And so, and then that started blooming into, for me, the recognition that the people in the people space, the human resources people, weren't always really paying attention to our own human experience. Mm -hmm. And the work itself, whether you're in HR, or as a leader, you know, as a, that's a, that's a heavy lift, you know, to really help 
guide other people's experience and have such an impact on them. And it's a great responsibility. And so that responsibility also comes back around to, and we talk about this duality on HR to HX. It's about the duality of crafting and creating your own exceptional experience and helping cr to create the best possible experience for those people inside of an organization. So mm -hmm. the episodes are typically really focused on both of those things, because I think there's both critical, like the inside out, right? As my beautiful husband says all the time, and it's so true, the work is always inside out. We start inside and that's what reflects back out to the people that we work with every day. So yeah. that is the focus is, is just really crafting and curating the most excep exceptional human experience for yourself and for others. If we think through the HX side of leadership, that everything we're doing is having some influence on us and our own experiences, right? Everything in life, both at work, outside work, in life, but also everything we do influences others' experiences. You could say that that is truly the definition of culture right? Culture is HX, HX is culture. How do I, as a leader, if I've never actually thought about that, what do I do if I go, gosh, how did that email, that text message, that communication impact others and the experiences that they have with it and the experiences they come to it with? How does all of, all of that influence my leadership? Yeah, I do think the easiest place to start, Mike, is with written communication because I think if you tell people in the moment when you're delivering a message sometimes that you're impacting somebody's human experience <laughs> greatly, it can be really overwhelming. Where with email, hopefully, we can take a little bit of time and think through what an impact might be. So what I tell people to do is to start by, you know, let's say you're going to do an, an all-employee email or an all something to your whole team. A good practice is to read it, you know, from the perspective of the person who's receiving the information. How, how does this feel? What is the tone? Like there's great software now, which can actually give you some predictive elements and what your tone is in the written communication. So I think starting with being mindful that when we as leaders send out written communication, first of all, there's, there's this effect that People really want to be accepted. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. So when you're sending that out, you know, what is the tone of that communication? The second part for me is sometimes it's great when you're new to this is to have somebody else, you know, read your written communication and get their feedback, especially again, if you're talking about something that's a big change on a team or you're shifting something or you're rolling something out, what is the perceived and, and what are the questions that people have about this? Like, where can you fill in the blanks? Because I think as we, as we know, as leaders, if people don't have all the information, they fill in the information for themselves. So on our team, we have someone who is dedicated to that practice for us across our whole EXT team, our employee experience team. So Dakota reads every comm, makes sure that we're consistent in that comm, kind of points out like, hey, this isn't aligned to our mission, vision, values, or culturally, this is going to feel, this for me, this feels a little you know, one way or the other when I am reading and, and are perceiving. So, you know, we really try to set a tone of being warm, kind, aligned to our values. And so I think that's still 
a, a good practice if you're communicating with your team? What is your value system? How are you representing those values? Because email is one of those things, as we know, my like people read in between the lines, whether you whether you want them to or not. So I think right. starting to be mindful about written communication and how do doing your best to to really understand how someone may accept and receive that information. And that includes when you send it, you know, people don't process information and big change as easily, you know, later in the day, like just really being mindful about the person receiving versus it being on your agenda and your need to get something out the door because of your own personal motivation. So I think that's the starting point for me. I tell people to, to kind of start with the written com because it does have an impact to people. If you can imagine, I always take people through this process. Let's say you sent something out at six o'clock p.m., and it's a big change on the team. And let's say that person is at dinner with their family and it comes up on their phone. How does that ripple out to the experience they're having with the people that they're with? And yeah. you're not really allowing for the space for them to ask questions because it's so like, what is the experience of the person? And so how do we start to be more mindful about how, when, and the context in which we communicate? And that's just a piece of it. But as a starting point, I think it's a great place to start, to start thinking about, to your point, reorienting your context to the human experience. Yeah. Now, how far does that go? Because there could be, you could send out an email, you know, if you have thousands of employees or hundreds of employees, you could send out an email and at any point in the day, they could be managing other things too. So how do I, how do I process what is and is not favorable, acceptable, but also knowing I've got to get communications out and how do I balance that? You know, I think we try to do our best, for example, to plan our comms and, and make sure we're also not blasting employees all the time. Cause that's also very disruptive. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. HR teams, and I don't say this in judgment, I, I think out of, out of, and leaders, you know, we, we want to communicate, we want to make sure we're being communicative, but there's not a whole lot of planning that goes into sometimes like the consolidation of communication, again, packaging it for the person that's receiving it. And yes, there will always be times and situations where there's urgent communication that has to happen. But I think that's the point. If the rest of the time you're packaging things in a way that is more intentional and planned and contextualized to the people receiving it. When there is that one-off, I do think people process it differently by definition, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, yeah. oh, this is coming out kind of out of cycle, or this is something that must be really important. So I do think it helps to actually not dilute your messaging, to not dilute what's happening or what's maybe really critical and time sensitive. So I think it actually has a positive effect when there are when there is urgency around communication and i would still say take a beat take a second to 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 reread what you're sending or have someone else do it again because urgency and kind of that direct communication can create anxiety for folks and so you know how are you communicating what opportunities are you giving to them to ask questions we're huge here on doing Q&A sessions. So we'll send out comms and then we will say, hey, we're going to do a couple of Q&A sessions next week. If we change something or something happens, 
just doing 15 minute segments where people can dial into a Teams and say, you know, I don't understand this or this doesn't make sense for me. And then we follow up with an FAQ document that gathers all of those questions from a call to then say, hey guys, by the way, this is what happened on the call. So if you also have questions but couldn't make the call. So we try to be incredibly intentional about, it sounds like, you know, I don't want to make it sound like it's all about communication. The human experience is much bigger than that. But I will say communication and effective communication is certainly a huge impact to people in, in their experience inside of the organization. So one of these real life examples you just unpacked of not just providing the communication, but also a time if anybody wants to log in as a group to put out their questions and a follow up after that, capturing the notes, which, you know, as I always say, if you're thinking it, someone else probably yeah. is too, Yeah. right? Can you give a couple of other ex lived examples where you either changed operating best practices or principles based on the focus of human experience? Yeah. Another one is we're constantly evolving. We do an open forum town hall on Fridays, every Friday. And when I first got here, I thought, wow, I didn't know why I had a podcast. And now I know because it was such great practice for this. It's, it's, it's open forum, no holds barred. Anybody can ask anything of the executive team or leadership team. We also use a product called Slido where people can submit and upvote questions and we answer every single question. We don't delete questions. We don't delete comments. It is, it is true transparency. And to your question, we have evolved that call constantly because the, the organization is changing. The context of the business is changing. People are give, constantly giving us feedback. So we ask for feedback about that call. What's working for you? What's not working for you? We do a patient story with a patient typically every single Friday. So again, connecting the dots on purpose. So we have a patient on telling their story. And so we want to have this really incredible culture of transparency. And it also the recognition that the experience that people are having inside of the company, because now we're almost a thousand employees when this, when town hall started, I wasn't even here. It was, you know, 50 people. So that experience for people on the receiving end of that has changed. We also recognize that now not everybody can dial into the call at that time, because again, we're a thousand people in 60 sites. So we record the call and we chunk out the call and we try to give people cliff notes from the call. So that's another example of just this, iteration and desire to continue to get, receive, and integrate feedback about what is the experience of the people on the other side of the receiving end. And I've been at organizations, Mike, and I'm sure you have as well, where, you know, there's just, there's a path that is non-deviated from, there's like a lack of evolution because this is how we've always done it. And I, I do feel like being in an organization where truly sometimes to our, to, to our own, you know, chaos, we're constantly looking to evolve and, and see where people are. So I think that's a really healthy practice. What are the ways you're uh, getting? Are you asking for feedback again in multiple modalities? You know, we are big fans of surveys plus one-on-ones plus group trying to gather feedback because again, the experience and the humanity on the other side of that 
is incredibly different, right? Everybody has a different preference on how they're comfortable giving feedback. Slido is anonymous or not. Like you can, you know, submit anonymously or you can disclose. And again, that's about somebody's comfort level on how in front of the organization they want to be. We're also sensitive to people getting positive feedback. Some people do not want positive feedback on an open town hall. Other people, that's like the joy in their life. And so I I don't want to overwhelm people and make it sound like you have to, before you take a breath or every word you say, you have to like think about the HX of the other person. But I think it does become a muscle to your original question. Like, how do you start down this road? You start by taking small steps. And then it really becomes a muscle of the organization to begin to think about things in that organic vein of the experience of the people. And it becomes easier as you go because it just becomes part of your rhythm. Stacey, in terms of your employee development, do you work with team members in this type of environment to understand the value of feedback, how to deliver it, how to receive it? Like, is that part of your natural training if feedback is, you know, we always say feedback is a gift, right? But most people do not feel that way from their own lived experiences. So do you train on feedback? You know, we, it's, we're an interesting organization coming into a mental health organization. is always interesting because by definition, the vast majority of our population are counselors and case managers, right? Now, Uh, That doesn't mean that people are exceptional at getting feedback if they're the ones usually giving feedback. So to your point, we have started doing much more intentional leadership development around listening and receiving feedback and integrating feedback. We just launched our Leadership Academy in January. I've only been here, it's been eight months. So, you know, I'm relatively new to the organization and and we're on a trajectory of, of growth. So, you know, I think there was a prior notion that people were pretty good at this stuff and we don't need to always integrate it. But to your question, we have started being much more intentional about that because one of the big challenges in our business is that there is a lived experience, a human experience in our organization that is very heavy. We are working with people that are struggling with substance use disorder and opioid use disorder. They are having some of the hardest days of their life while they're right in front of the people that work for our organization. And that's true if you are at the front desk or if you're a physician or a nurse or a case manager, or even if you're in one of the support teams, because the work is is really rewarding and it's also really challenging. We have people that overdose every day in our business. And so that emotional navigation is challenging. So I think we're we're still finding our way, to be honest, Mike, at how to be better and better at that. And maybe there is no endpoint. Maybe you can constantly improve, but that is something that we're working on. So I have to ask the question, Stacy, what have you learned about humanity? Mm-hmm being a part of an organization that focuses on eliminating the challenges with opioid and substance abuse disorder? I already really truly believed in my core that humanity is exceptionally beautiful and overwhelmingly good. Like that's just my, my vantage point in my life. And, and I have had that more reinforced here than any place I've ever been 
you know, the patient stories that we hear on Friday. My first, my first town hall, I was crying. And then two minutes later, I had to speak. I, I was like, how do you all do this every week? That this is powerful, palpable humanity alive and in front of us talking about how we saved this person's life and their family and their child from a completely different trajectory. The first town hall I was ever on, it was a gentleman who was in in a state of, of crisis. There was a snowstorm. He was in, I think, Wyoming or North Dakota, where we have sites. And his car went off the road and he he ended up getting caught in a snowbank and getting stuck there. And this man had lost all of his fingers on both of his hands, all of his toes. And he ended up getting addicted to opioids and then ended up eventually when he really hit a critical point in his life at one of our sites. This man is now a welder for a living. He is living his life. He is with his family. He is, you know, so you hear these, I mean, it's just, how can you not be so inspired by the work that we do every day when people are really, again, having the hardest day of their life. And so our, our really, our, our kind of our mission vision is our cause is our calling. This is, this is really about humanity. And so when I was offered this opportunity, I had had someone in my life struggle with opioid use in, in, in my personal life. And when I talked to my kids about this opportunity, you know, it was clear to me that, you know, God and the universe or whatever you believe had put this in front of me for a reason. So I think that that has held true, Mike, that it's, this is a a calling for me. And for most people that are here, regardless of the role that they're in, this truly feels like a calling in our heart to solve one of the biggest crises we have in this country through opioid use disorder. Well, Stacey, I'm sure that it's not just me that's saying this, our, our audience. I mean, all of us have been affected by someone close or within one step away from our families and our friendship circles. So thank you for doing this work as hard as it has to be every day. We need people that have the emotion in their heart that feels like it's not just their their vocation, but their calling in the work that you're Thank you. doing. What, what can you share about the opioid crisis in the United States and why as a supervisor, a manager who might be listening to this episode, why should they care? What is it? How does it impact them? What should they know if they, you know, for some reason have been able to be able to not be as exposed to it at work or in their personal life? Thank you for asking this question, because this is a question that I hope to get every single time someone talks to me, because there are things that we can do. The biggest thing we can do is reduce the stigma of getting help. And there is an incredible amount of stigma around seeking and accepting help for opioid use disorder. There is, there's a lot of statistics out there, but I'll, I'll just share with you that the likelihood of someone pursuing abstinence only treatment, meaning just removal of the, you know, of, of the opioid and, and getting to a a place of stability is very low. I've heard statistics of less than 1%. So what we know about opioid use disorder is it is unlike anything else in some ways in that 
you can go to abstinence-based programs for alcohol, but it doesn't work for opioid use. And so we provide medical assisted treatment, Matt, which is to provide, you know, some of what you've heard, methadone, buprenorphine, we use lots of different medications to help people stabilize their brain chemistry. That brain chemistry takes about two years to stabilize. And there is no shame in continuing that medication, much like a diabetic gets insulin to stabilize their blood sugar. Very similarly, chemically, people need medication in order to stabilize their brain chemistry. So I think that's the best thing people can know and understand is that people that are on methadone can lead completely normal functional, productive lives, and that methadone isn't the same as being on opioids, that this is much like insulin. This is something that stabilizes the chemistry. And that stigma continues to be our greatest obstacle in helping get more people the help that they need in this country, and that there is such shadow of, of that stigma. The other thing is we are very focused on harm reduction. We don't expect perfection. We would love people to make progress. And so again, this, this thought that people will go from zero to perfect overnight in this country, like this perception that people would go into treatment and then they're never going to have a stumble. They're never going to have a challenge ever again is unrealistic with this you know, disorder as well as other substance use disorders, that that is part of recovery, that is part of the process. So I think those two pieces that people can really understand and get educated because the likelihood if you are a leader or you're in the HR space that someone may walk through your door that is struggling with this or has someone very close to them in their immediate family struggling with this at this point in this country is very high. The likelihood is very high. You're going to, you're going to encounter this at some point. So knowing how to help guide them to the right resources is, is really critical, Mike. Yeah. And, and typically at least has been my experience of the family member who I have, who had a opioid addiction, it was caused by a terrible car yeah. accident that led to medication that led to an addiction. Uh, and that individual happens to be my mm -hmm. sister who I love dearly, but there's so much trauma in these topics too. There's so many employees around us and team members around us that are dealing with emotional trauma in their life that their employer like steps away from, right? Like we don't want that here. Right. But what would you say to an employer who either a doesn't want that trauma here? We don't want to talk about it. Right. Or B says, you know what? You're right. Maybe we should address traumas that employees have that bring, if I say bringing your best self to work actually matters here, I need to somehow unpack this topic of, of trauma that could be surrounding them. So what, what would you share with, with that comment and that framed up maybe Confusing no, question. it's a great question. You know, there's there's a methodology around trauma-informed care, and it's something that I'm looking at. How do we integrate this into the people practice? Because I think, Mike, to your point, it's a great question. I have a, a really good friend who is the CEO of a nonprofit that is doing this work related to coaching leaders around trauma-informed kind of orientation, to your point. So how do we approach those that are, are have had past trauma in order to really greatly reduce that the trauma of, of future interactions? How do we look at the lens of trauma-informed care related to 
the human experience of people within work. Let me give you an example. When you are terminated from an organization or you have people that you're close to that your organization, you know, lays off or terminates, that is a traumatic experience for people. The ending of that employment is a traumatic experience, the end of that journey. So how do we start to integrate trauma-informed care so that, again, we're paying attention to the experience that someone is having? And and I don't think anyone would say that they want to really emotionally injure someone with, you know, even employment-related action doesn't mean that we don't take action. You know, there are times where it's actually really better for the person to not be in a role or not be with an organization or to move on to something else that is more aligned to who they are and where their skill set is and where their gifts are. That's how I view, you know, having those conversations is we're really allowing people to find the space and the place where they can be their best. Because when someone's failing, you know, not, not succeeding in a role, it's, it's really challenging for them emotionally to continue to navigate. So I think starting to wrap, just to consume a little bit of material around what is trauma-informed care, we teach all of our counselors and all of our staff about trauma-informed care because of our work. And it really got me thinking about how can my team the people team who are now working with these people start to contextualize how we write policy and procedure, how we seems like, again, not to overwhelm everyone, but there are, there are ways for us to help people navigate that space in, in a, in a more compassionate way, I would say. That's awesome, Stacey. So one of the topics I that kind of drew, I think, how I became connected with you was all the sharing that happens around the topic of Freedom Friday. And I'd like to talk to you about the kind of the, the habit, the decision you've made in your life to create Freedom Friday. What does that mean? What do you hope to get from that personally? And how do you hope that that work that you share through hashtag Freedom Friday impacts others' lives. Yeah, well. it's it was such a an evolution. So a little bit about my past. I I've taught fitness for as long as I've been in HR. So over twenty years. We'll just leave it at that, Mike. And so I love to work out. I love to go to the gym and push really hard. And as I'm getting older, I'm coming to realize that that's not what my body needs every day. And the other thing that was happening is I was getting on the town hall every Friday at nine o'clock. And my question to myself started to be, what is, what is a morning ritual that's going to feel the best for me on a Friday that connects me to an incredibly grounded and heart centric place? So that by the time I get on this call at nine o'clock, which I already talked about is open forum, no holds barred. I'm sometimes on the hot seat with employees peppering me with, why are we not all getting raises? I mean, they're genuinely, you know, asking and submitting questions. So what I started to realize is like, that's a really, you know, challenging and emotional space for me. So what can I do to show up as my best self on these town halls every Friday? And so one day I went, I live in Arizona. It's just incredibly gorgeous in the desert I've come. I'm from Indiana, where more where you are, Mike, where, you know, I'm used to trees and forests, but I've really come to acclimate to the beauty of the desert here. And so the first day I went, I was like, okay, I'm going to go on a hike. But then 
I sort of realized I started just walking and I wasn't like hiking for an end. I was hiking for the, I was walking for the journey. I was picking my head up. I was taking my headphones out and listening to the nature, the coyotes that were howling, et cetera. And then sometimes I put on a podcast that I couldn't ever get to that week and I'm listening, you know, and, and listening to nature. So it's really about how do you craft something on a Friday that gives you the the freedom and the opportunity to have your very best day to sort of wrap up your work week in a really positive way. Because for me, Friday is also sometimes if you work on Monday through Friday a week, which sometimes don't, is the space in between of being able to disconnect and and connect maybe in a more deep way with your family, for example, or your pets or whomever. So sort of this this space of how do you make that transition? Because my husband and I have a really bad habit about talking about his work and my work all the time, just because we both love it. But how do you start to create greater intention? So that was the birth of Freedom Friday. And now it's really become, I try to consume and think through on that walk, that meandering walk, again, not trying to get anywhere in particular. How can I expand and think through something kind of big, you know, that feels really awesome for me is to like digest, think about something. And that's what I share on my walk, you know, Hey, this is what I'm thinking about today. You know, here's maybe something you can think about. How do you, this is another way to create that space, create the space of, of that bridge on, on a Friday and show up as your best self for really, for most of us, the last day that we're going to be interacting with the people at work. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I will share. I really enjoyed my time at the Sandtown Mountain. Regional that's where I Park. walk I every Friday, ever... almost every Friday. Right? Is that yeah, right? that's where I walk. <laughs> so there is a chance that you have passed my cousins who also do that very often on Fridays. So there's. A I love it. That, yeah, I have family out in Queen Creek, Arizona, yeah. as well. So, Stacy, can you share a little bit with how you would define? unconventional leadership. What does unconventional leadership mean to you? I think that unconventional leadership is by definition that everyone, every human has their own perspective, history, background, and experience. And there is nothing better as a leader than showing up with who you really are your strengths and your vulnerable areas of opportunity to your team. And I think unconventional leadership, conventional leadership for me and growing up as a Gen Xer, I think Mike, you may, may be a Gen Xer, maybe a little younger than me. We were taught to show up as leaders as a bit of a, a robot, right? Like I was told when I had my baby, my first son, my leader, who, by the way, was in HR, told me not to have his picture on my desk because people may, you know, they were going to make, make jump to conclusions about the fact that I wasn't dedicated to work. And I think about that now, I thought, you know, that was a long time ago, but it, it's, you know, that I was really told to not be who I was. 
So I think the beauty of unconventional leadership and my thought around it is, is really everyone does show up completely differently as a leader. And do we have the space in our world today to accept people where they are and the strengths that they have as leaders? My husband's a leader. I'm a leader. We're very different leaders. We have certain things that overlap on how we approach things and how we try to have best practices, but it's giving people the space to show up as a leader as who they really are and not based on what a book says we should be or how we should do the things. It's it's using your strengths to be your best, to lead your team in the best way that that you really place to your strength. And I think that that's an unconventional way in my experience of thinking about how do you lead a team. And organizations certainly can ha- should have mission, vision, values to provide guidance around the expectations on how we interact with one another and and what culture really is collectively. But within that MVV, within that mission, vision, values, and that culture, there should be space for people to be who they are and show up who they really are. Stacey, I talk so often in, in speaking engagements, I always start off with a slide that shares Gallup data, right? That basically shows that over the last 20, 30 years, nothing that we've done in the workplace has really adjusted the engagement numbers and the actively disengaged numbers. And a lot of it rests with the type of mentality that you were just describing, where someone, you know, shared or encouraged you to not share the most exciting news in your life in your workplace, which was the birth of your son, right? And that's the part that when you and I are sharing with our audience is your listening audience this is the part we're trying to address. Like that kind of mentality rips the soul away from the humans that you employ, right? And there's various ways to do that. There's various ways that microaggressions show up in the workplace and that has a a bias towards the humans and the decisions they have in their life and where they are in their life and, you know, ageism and sexism, racism and all these things that compound the mental health of our employees that allow us not to show up to be our best self. So I just can't help but, you know, hurt for you that you had to manage that. And I'm also encouraged that you know where that where you are now, you didn't allow that to become the story and message that you told others, that you can use it as an example of what not to do in today's work. Yes. It's, you know, I'm, I'm, there's some challenging things going on in my personal life right now. My daughter was diagnosed with leukemia on January 31st, my 17 year old. And lots of things have gone through my mind in the last, you know, since, since that date. And one of the things that I take very seriously is I, as a chief people officer, have a responsibility to show up for people exactly sometimes where I am in a day when we're having a hard day. She was in the hospital for the first 30 days. And today, you know, we drive her to chemo every day. She has chemo every day. And some days are hard, Mike. Like some days are really emotionally challenging when we have to go to the hospital, when you're on the infusion floor with all these little kiddos at all different ages that have various types of cancer. It's inspiring and it's also emotionally taxing. So the permission Mike, and the responsibility that I feel like I have as a chief people officer to walk that walk. And I think as leaders, we all have that responsibility 
I have the responsibility to my team to say that not only do you have permission, I have permission and we, we are humans having a human experience regardless of what role we're in. And so, you know, I think that that's, that's the lessons. That's why this is in my life. It's in my daughter's life for a reason, but I do feel that we're in this pivotal point post COVID where it's going to be really easy to swing back the other direction to disconnect from our humanity and who we are as people that we became so close to during the pandemic because we, we were all emotionally navigating the unknown. And so my hope is that I can influence within my own organization and other organizations, like we need to hold on to that. That, that, that was the reason and the lessons learned in that space. We should hold on to the fact that really being authentic about our own human experience and what's happening for us is just, is, is the best part of being a leader inside of an organization. And that gives people permission to do the same. Wow. Well, what you just shared, I want to first just encourage and let you know that our thoughts and prayers are with your daughter, your family, for the strength and courage of you all going through this and for the authenticity to share the story with others, because you know that other people are going through very similar experiences, yeah. right? So I know the journey cannot be, it's never an easy one, but I just encourage you to know that we're praying and cheering you guys Thanks, on. Mike. Yeah, she's doing awesome. She's so good. So, so grateful. Hmm. Well, I'm inspired that our journeys with our podcasts brought us together. I'd love the opportunity to meet with other podcasters who are on a mission. And clearly you've outlined today the mission that you're on. So Stacy, thank you for joining us for this week's episode. Thanks, Mike. I just, I appreciate the work you're doing as well. The more of us that are out there shouting from the rooftops about how to be unconventional and, and how to find our own path as great leaders, I think the better. So let's, let's all just keep keep doing that work. It's, it's really good stuff. Thank you. Awesome. Well, we thank you all for listening and uh, we look forward to the next conversation. Thank you for listening to the Unconventional Leadership Podcast. We hope you gain valuable insights and inspiration from today's episode. We invite you to join us on this journey of exploration and discovery as we continue to uncover the unconventional approaches and strategies that are shaping the future of leadership. Stay tuned for our next episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Unconventional Leadership Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Remember, being an unconventional leader means embracing new ideas and strategies to drive growth and innovation. So keep pushing the boundaries and challenge the status quo. And we'll see you next time on the Unconventional Leadership Podcast.